0: Welcome to Books Boys, live from the Grand Library, the Dean and EJ. He's PJ. Hello everyone. I'm the Dean and we are the Books Boys. The one and only. This is the Books Boys show. Get it? Buy it? Books. Books. Still this month. books are, but okay. Well, we don't know about the books. Um, We're getting fewer emails every month asking us what what on earth we're talking about. So I think that's a good sign. Either that means that the kids now they know what books are, or they've just stopped trying to figure it out.
1: You know, one one of the two. Right, yeah, one of the others, yeah. Hmm, something related to toilet
0: paper,
2: but
1: anyway, yeah, okay. So, so whatever it is, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk
0: about them, and we're joined this month in the uh, webcam sessions um, by a Aladdin's lamp. So, anyone who wants oh. to make some wishes, get on the uh, get on the webcam chat, which no one's invited to, by the way, so you can't get on there. So I'm afraid not. No, that's a very special VIP. <laughs> Us two only at the moment. So there you go. There you go. How are you, PJ?
1: How's things? I'm doing very well, yeah. I'm uh just sitting here drinking some ginger tea, having a very uh enjoyable day
0: and uh talking with you about life. Very nice. I'm on the Lapsang Sushong tea uh today, went and bought some there, so it's very smoky tea. Oh, oh very fancy. Very fancy for a, for a smoky episode. Well, guys, this is episode five of the Books Boys, and you know it's been f- less than four weeks since we last recorded, and it feels like three months ago. I don't, I don't understand what like what is happening time. with the flow of time. I know it feels like a long time ago. Well, it's
1: because I think we usually talk about you know life and books anyway once a week or twice or whatever, and I don't think we we haven't we've hardly talked this month. I've been a bit kind of
0: busy with my own kind of uh, writing. Anyway, yeah, but maybe we should tell the listeners because they're aware from our bonus episode about your your book. But you're writing you're writing more things. Where we've got a lot of projects, you know, in in the works. So you know, even if we didn't uh, chat so much, we've got good things going on.
1: Oh yeah, no, we're definitely. It's and it involves you, of course, because like I talked in the episode, I'm just getting the Okutama Express, my first novel, uh, sending it to publishers and trying to get it. Well, just trying to get it out there, and uh, it includes. Uh, some of your illustrations so it's definitely our project and i'm looking forward to it and we're working on getting the poetry picture book that we've been uh working on for the last maybe uh, has it been like nine months
3: getting yeah i say finished. roughly yeah yeah
1: so it's been fun so it's a lot of different projects and a lot of other things i wanted to publish and yeah I've also started yeah also my my second novel basically so uh yeah no it's been fun it's been a great month just very busy and a bit. The thing is, I think um, when I start getting, getting into writing, I become quite isolated. Maybe not in a bad sense, but I do become kind of my own little, little island, and I don't really talk to that many people. To be honest, like I just talk to my, to kind of my. I just talk to my mum, who's nearby, and to my partner, who I live with, and uh,
0: those are the only two. Um, going to um, well, look PJ we can, we can make a deal here we can make a deal if you're if you're too yeah. busy at any point if you're ever too busy to talk just send me a selfie with that sexy hair and then I'll feel like you know that's that's something you know oh well then look I'll do that indeed all right
1: <laughs> that could be maybe something for the fans you know, maybe some pictures with signatures, you know, or fancy Sign, Signed
0: it by tens. I heard that in the uh, 80s, that was a really good way to, to like, make money. Just signed it by tens, yeah. Okay. Sell those through a catalog, door to door, you know. I think that's a Japanese thing. So
1: I've seen that in Japan. <laughs> there you go. They're living in the 80s in Japan. Did you know that? When I was there, do you know what's really in in Japan? What? Cassette players. They're big into really? cassette players. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's a very kind of strange forward technological...
0: Technological country, They, they might have made a mistake there because, um, you know, a lot of places they're getting back into vinyl, but that's because vinyl has a really good aesthetic. Yeah, Is that right? sound like garbage. They're,
1: they're the worst. But it's supposed to be a cool thing. You know? So there you go. That's,
0: what's, that's oh. what the Japanese are up to. There we go. Why why not? Why not experiment with something? Um, I'm going to introduce our sponsor this month before we get into chatting about what we've been reading. Okay. Uh, this month, we're sponsored by Dumas Kakol Dating. So if you oh, want sorry. to get involved in a dating service where you can effectively spend all your time following around a pretty girl who will barely speak to you, uh, do some favors for her, give her all your money, and then get absolutely no result, demasedatingservice.com. And you can, uh, you can get on board with that. Um, we do have a second sponsor as well. PJ, you might remember way back in episode one, we were sponsored uh-huh. by the new Wave disco band Bronte Boom. They've just released oh, yeah. their second single. And we helped them out so much last time; they wanted us to, you know, to sponsor us again with the second single. So the yeah. uh, the A side is called "Give a Little Love" brackets to Anne because she is sorely <laughs> lacking in the uh, love department. And of course, the B okay. side, Kate Bush already stole this song, so that would have been right. Wuthering okay. Heights.
1: Okay, okay, that would have been Wuthering Heights. Okay, I get it. Well, look, great bands. Uh, the the sisters used to be the brother who used to be in the band, but I think he started. You know, I started hitting the booze very hard and he had to leave the bands. Um, yeah.
0: Anyway. Yeah, that's what the drummer's for, right? That's, you know.
1: Uh, there you go. There you go. Uh,
0: <laughs> so, CJ, so, what have you been, what have we been reading this month?
1: Uh, well, I have been more of revising what you've been reading because I read it uh, a while ago. Didn't actually read the whole thing, but we've been reading and analyzing uh, Carlos Ruiz Safon's oeuvre, his works and specifically uh, the tetralogy that starts off with The Shadow of the Wind. Now, now you have actually read this recently. I read them a while ago, and you read the last book. So these are four books. That's The Shadow of the Wind, came out in 2001. That's, um, well, maybe the Spanish title as well, La Sombra del Viento. Second one is El Juego del Ángel. The Angels Game, came out in 2008, which is actually a prequel, not a sequel. And then The Prisoner of Heaven, El Prisionero del Cielo, came out in 2011, which is an actual sequel to the first book. And then the one I haven't read, which is, um, just remind me of the name of that book again. The, the Labyrinth of Spirits, El Laberinto de los Espiritus. Right, and you have to tell me cause, about that because I did not get a chance to read.
0: 2017. So, yeah, yeah I mean, to quickly recap... You know, looking at Zafon, so sad, we should we should just point out that sadly Zafon oh. did uh, pass away a few months back. Sadly, yeah. um, so we won't be expecting you know any any more sequels or anything, which, which is a which is, shame,
1: which is a bit embarrassing in my part because I have to admit I did say to you back then how about
0: trying to get in contact with him. And, yeah, we, and we might have. I don't know if you we were gonna fine. try to get a ghost or something. That's a whole yeah, no, other cause, podcast. I think because
1: I said I had a solution. <laughs> I'm gonna get in contact with him, and you thought I was getting a bit like you know super supernatural here. It I, was I around
0: gen- Halloween when you said that, so I I thought it was a oh, gimmick. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, <laughs> okay, okay, no, I, I genuinely tried. But yeah,
1: he passed away sadly at a young age, isn't he? Uh, fifty-five. So
0: it's a pity. Uh it is it is a pity. Um his I mean his books are really he's written four novels. So the first four are the young adult novels. I believe right. that's a trilogy and then a standalone. And you've read one of those, is that right? Yeah, so he's written well, he's written eight novels, right? But he's written
1: four novels aside from this tetralogy. And then the the tetralogy, yeah. Yeah, which is called The Cemetery of Forgotten Books. So, Cementerio de los Libros Ovidados. And, um, but I read his first book ever, which is called, um, and that's considered part of the four book tetralogy, that is just, uh, they don't have a name really. They're not, I don't don't think they're meant to be together. It's just, they're just mentioned as his young adult books. But um, the first one is called El Principe de la Niebla, The Prince of Mist. And it was the first book I've ever read um do you want me to just do you want me to start talking about that seeing as his first book maybe we can start it's talking his first about... book
0: and I've never read it so I think yeah I think you want to tell us a little bit about that one
1: well the prince of miss de la niebla um his first book so it was published in 19, so 1993. so nineteen ninety-three. he was born in nineteen sixty four so he would have been uh just about twenty nine there when he released that which would be. Uh, my, which will be my age in April. So hopefully if I can release Okazam Express, it will be a nice kind of 29 is a nice age. A lot, a lot of authors actually, I've realized recently, have actually published their first book at 29. It's an interesting well, I age. Better, I better get a move on. But well, there you go. Behind. So um, yeah. Uh, anyway, The Prince of Mist is, I, I was reading a bit about what he was saying about his books. So he's written a bit about his books after they came out. And like prologue, some little articles. And he said that uh, Prince of Mist was not intended as a young adult novel. It was just, he he in fact says he doesn't really understand what's the difference uh, between young adults and adults. And that really resonates with me because I think the book I have might be a young adult novel, but it's kind of like, I don't know exactly what that means still. Like, cause for me, like just a good book just resonates with teenagers and adults doesn't matter what and the thing is now the, the thing about uh, wa and literature the only thing i can get about it is that the language is very uh often direct it's slightly less loquacious and usually the word count is less which are all good things you see i think actually if you're intending to write a book you should go more for the ya you should reduce a bit and that's yeah. the way when i read prince of mist um it was a uh, it was that kind of book. It was just a very well-written, compact book. Of Are a- the themes a little bit lighter
0: in the young adult? You know.
1: One. Yeah, so I'm going to get to you about that now. So it's about, it's 221 pages, I think, the original book. Uh came out in 1993, um, translated into English 2010. So after the success mm-hmm. of his adult books. Uh, so yeah, this is interesting. And I'd like to get back to Prince of Mist after we mentioned... Uh, uh, the other books because it, it relates you'll get you'll be interested about this it kind of relates to the later books they're all kind of interconnected in some sense um, okay. but the themes are not lighter no they're not lighter I mean he's oh, not all right. for those you guys why are we talking about Carlos Ruiz Afon because he's very much for me he's very much a kind of an, a new gothic author don't you think It's kind of like is is like the excellent example of what gothic literature could have mm-hmm. become maybe and didn't quite always achieve we talk about that in a second the themes are not lighter we'll talk about the themes in a second just to give you guys an idea about why you should read uh, prince of mist and uh, because you might think oh it's a kid's books it's not really kids books in some sense i feel like it was very serious and very dark it is considered more of a horror novel than anything it's about a um a boy as many of his stories are they're kind of all often about boys and young men a boy called max carver sets in during the second world war uh, he moves with his family to um um uh, away from the city to get away from the war to the seaside all right and the cover of the book is uh, is kind of a, la- a lighthouse anyway so there's a lighthouse in that village set somewhere in england so it's very much a kind of uh, it's a kind of a bit of a romantic uh, English landscape. Not really, I think, what an Englishman would write about. But it's kind of like a Spanish person writing about England. It's my imp- impressions. That's supposed okay. to be a bad thing, kind of like that. Um, and it's basically about Max. He goes to the with his family. goes to the seaside, and the war is in the background. So I love that actually. I, I mean, I did that in my book as well. The war, Second World War, is in the background. There's not a main theme, so for me it resonates a lot. I always like those kind of stories. I'm a bit obsessed with the Second World War. Uh, it's the it's the one war that like holds a fascination with me more than any other war, because my uh, my granddad was you know my grandparents my German grandparents were in it, of course, and it's in the background, so that's very important. And it's kind of like it's a bit of a Freudian sort of story in the sense of you get the impression that. There's a kind of a there's a bit of supernatural elements happening there I'm not gonna to get too much into it but it's basically about him becoming friends with a boy called Roland and who's as old as max's older sister called Alicia and they go diving near the lighthouse and they find some interesting horrific sort of things happening to them and this okay. is basically what it's all about and it's and it's very similar to the themes of the le- of the adult books, in the sense of like suppression, a secret. So that's I think one is kind of fascinated by that that gothic theme of suppressing your fear, mm-hmm. suppressing as something scandalous, something that society doesn't accept, and and then it coming out uh, through horrific means, uh, through monsters. I suppose it's not really a monster novel though. Uh, we're not just gonna, I'm not really going to say. How it's not, and it's not such a graphic novel, I would say. It's more of an atmospheric um, novel more than anything.
0: Kind of a classic gothic tale. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, the yeah. atmosphere is, you know, that atmospheric novel, as you say, that kind of neo-gothic style, that is something that he does really well. And you can always tell a good author by, by their world building you know you oh, read yeah. uh, you read dickens or you read agatha christie and you feel like everything took place in the same world and at least with the tetralogy that i've read you know obviously that it is a direct sequel but he creates this amazing world this this barcelona that is um, yeah, yeah. It's, very, it's very distinct and it has a you know it has that kind of gothic uh, atmosphere about it and I, I think it's very very superbly crafted
1: Oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, like, w- would you like to now move on? We can move. I'd like to go back, actually, to Prince of Mist because I haven't read the other, um, you know, kids novels, not kids novels, but we're going to say young adult novels. But I have something interesting to say to that after we talk about the other novels. So maybe we'll talk about okay. now, actually, you know, is, is big masterpiece, kind of like, right? The, the whole four-book universe of... um. um I for, excuse me, the name,
0: um, the Cemetery of Forgotten Books. Cemetery of Forgotten Books, yeah, el Cemetery yeah. de los Libros Olvidados. Now we should stress as well. I mean, for anyone that, that isn't aware, um, you know, yes, these are Spanish uh, books, and and uh, you know, yeah. I read them in Spanish, but of course, they are all available now in English translation, so you can. You yeah, can yeah. The
1: After the success of the Shot of the Winds, then it translated. Much, yeah, from, from, from that well. point,
0: they were all translated. Exactly. Um, now, I have four or 5 Safan so books sitting beside me here. I do not have The Shadow of the Wind because I borrowed it from someone and gave oh, yeah. it back and then it was so good that I got into all the others. Um, so, I mean, it's the first one. It's now considered one of the best-selling books of all time, right?
1: Yeah, right. I it, it's it sold more than 50 million copies mm-hmm. worldwide, yeah. And, and it, it is selling it.
0: worldwide, yeah.
1: Yeah, and, and Penguin Books published it in the UK, for example. I mean, it's a, bit, it's a
0: big hit, yeah. Totally. So, this tells the story of of Daniel Semperé. Essentially, uh-huh. he works in a bookshop. Um, Semperé e Icos, so it's Semperé's and Sons. Um, <laughs> essentially, this is a bookshop that's you know been in the family generations, you know. And yeah. he's there. He's the the kid, and his dad obviously is is running the bookshop. And his dad before him had the you know the bookshop as well.
1: Yeah. Basically, that's the story. Yeah. So it starts off with that kind of. It's already. Now Carlos Zafón, he talks a lot about that he lo- loves to talk about writers being a writer, and I mean that's not an uncommon theme anyway with writers. they love to talk about writers and But it starts off with with a kid who's in a kind of a bookshop, but you know, and not just that, but he then goes to the special place, right? Cemetery of Forgotten Books and what to happened? the
0: Cemetery of Forgotten
1: Books with the uh, guardian Isaac. Exactly. Do, do, do you want to talk about what that is, like the
0: Cemetery of Forgotten Books? I mean, what what is it? Yeah, so his, when he's 10 years old, his dad takes him there and he kind of says there's some things that you can only see, you know, in the uh-huh. in, on a dark night, effectively, you know, huh. uh, and they go out and they go to the Cemetery of Lost or uh, Forgotten Books. And it's effectively a massive, you know, I think it's hidden away in like ruins of an old palace or yeah. something, but it's basically a massive library of forgotten books or lost books. And um, when you go there, you know, it's it's a secret. You're not allowed to tell anyone about it. Um, you're allowed, you know, kind of lifetime access to it. But you get to choose one book, which will be a book that you bond with, uh, kind of spiritually. Mm-hmm. This this book, you know, you will now form a tie with. And, of course, he chooses The Shadow of the Wind by Julian Carax.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, I have to say, like, that's a fascinating character, Julian Carax. That's, that's one of the best characters ever, I think, written by any author. Uh, but anyway, we are going to get into uh, Julian or Julian Carax in a second. And thing I want to mention here is that um, what's really vital about Stefan, and he hasn't really, didn't really develop that in his early novels quite yet. So this is his this is his fifth novel, yeah. So this is his fifth novel. So it's t- it, it took him uh, five novels to actually start getting a city, and also because it's set. Mm, it's said just after the civil war. Yeah, it set just after the Spanish civil war, which was yeah, 1936 to nineteen thirty nine, and basically two things. Again, one thing he already mastered in the first novel, which is the trauma of war, and basically a suppression of war, and it coming out through devious ways. And so he also that that means he also has great villains and also just great dark characters. But if it's the Second World War in Prince of Mist, it's the Spanish Civil War, uh, mainly in the Shadow of the Wind, of course, the Second World War. But I just want to remind you, listeners, that Spain was not involved in the Second World War because it had just suffered a civil war uh, between uh, Republicans and monarchists for three years. And the monarchists won under Franco and then started a dictatorship. And there are a few things I just want to mention briefly about this, because The dictatorship lasted from 1939 to 1975, and everyone was quite traumatized about this. So, and it was easier to write about this after it finished. So, 2001 is when *The Shadow of the Wind* came out, and translated into English 2004. So, the idea is you could now write about it. And I think the idea is that Carlos Isafon, he's a Catalonian author, and like if you've been following politics, Catalonia is. Most of Catalonia doesn't want to be Spain. Now, that's very controversial, but let's just say half of Catalonia doesn't want to be Spain. And I think Carlos Riz is obviously more of the Catalonian, at least kind of um, feels more compassion towards that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cultural independence, at least. And I'm not sure about political, I'm not sure what his political views were. But the thing is, he does, he already mastered in the first one and he already did it well in the first one and mastered it in this book the the wind, the trauma of war and how like what is suppressed and then comes out but what he really mastered in the fifth novel is getting an actual city get an actual city and talk about the city so this city of barcelona is extremely important i mean wouldn't you agree in the in the in the at least in the first three books
0: i don't know about the fourth one I mean, I think, yeah, the fourth one as well. Now, there are some yeah. parts of the fourth one that actually we do venture a little bit to Madrid, but then we All come right. back to Barcelona. Um, the fourth one, I mean, we'll, we'll get to it in a minute because it's it's almost two books, you know, separate. All right, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I don't think, certainly the first three books, I don't know if they could have taken place anywhere other than not just Barcelona, but Zafan's interpretation of Barcelona.
1: Well, there, there you go. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's kind of like it's it's a very much a... A um, personal uh, Barcelona, but just it, it's based on memories. So, just like James Joyce did with Ulysses, where he uh, portrayed Dublin in 1904, those were memories, those were based on letters. Uh, James Joyce was only like 20, um, was maybe about 26 when, and, and at that 1904, but he wrote Ulysses a lot later. So, he just remembers it. And, you know, of course, Carlos Vicefan. Was born in the '60s. He did not live in this Barcelona, but I feel like he—it's it's kind of like he's dealing with the Barcelona stories his parents might have told him, or even his grandparents. Yeah. Like so many great books, uh, like "A Hundred Years of Solitude" with Gabriel Garcia Marquez, that's also just telling the story of of old sort of Colombia. But it's—it's it's a personal account. It's not a memory account. So that's what makes it, it slightly fantastic, just like this one is fantastic as well. Not realistic necessarily. So I love that, yeah. Just gotta say that.
0: Yeah. When we say not realistic, I mean yeah, some of the things that happen are a little bit extreme, but obviously with me not having been in Barcelona at that time, I don't know, you know, how realistic some of those things, you know, were or or wouldn't be. Um but I, I do like a novel that, although not realistic, at least you know, at least is set or at least begins in a real place, you know, cause it does give you that time. I do like that.
1: And just like Ulysses, but not, not as overdone, like in Ulysses is basically there is a map of Barcelona. I think, I mean, my, my copy of um, the third book actually has a map of Barcelona on the back. So some of them have an actual map of Barcelona yeah. of how it was in that time. And just like uh, James Joyce, he mentioned specific streets you can actually go to and revisit. And that's a eat. very great thing, you know, because that's what they do in Bloomsday to celebrate USC. They actually go to the actual streets. And I wish they start, they're, they're probably going to start now that he's passed on. They're probably going to start someday of the year where everyone celebrates in Barcelona. And I love that because that means you can actually go to the real place and say like, oh, this place was here. Uh, I have to say this also-
0: the, the bookshop right well yeah we, we, that,
1: but, <laughs> even if it doesn't exist you can definitely find it it is there in its essence it's exactly. there in like, different books and love done and i think possibly that inspired me with my with my books as well they're, they're they are usually real places actually you can actually go to so i love that as well but anyway uh let's get back to the story uh seeing that you've read it more recently would you like to tell more
0: yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. Now, the first one, it's been a year since I've read it, but the others I've read more recently. Um, yeah. But to, to quickly touch on a couple of the other characters, I mean, we've got Isaac, who I said is the guardian of the the library um, yeah. of, you know, the, the, the cemetery of, of lost books. We don't know an awful lot about Isaac. We learn a little bit more as the books go on. Um, but the interesting thing about him is, although these books are sequels and prequels and they're all set in different time periods... Isaac is always there. He is a constant guardian Ooh. of the, the cemetery, you know, oh, and, he's, yeah. and he just has that kind of famous line when you, anyone walks in and it's just, oh, yeah. bienvenido al cemeterio de los libros olvidados, <laughs> you know, well, welcome to the Cemetery of Lost Books. And that's what he says in, I think, all four novels, you know, no matter oh, who okay. he's talking to, that's just his his intro. Uh, sort of ominous almost, but actually no, he's a, he's a very sympathetic character when you kind of, you get to know him a bit and we meet his daughter in, in the first novel as well. That's um, right, yeah. Uh,
1: and also, like, all these names they're not really, not often, but a lot of these names are not really Spanish. A lot of these names are Catalonian, which is a separate language, and uh, Isaac, Isaac, for me, like, even the name, that sounds like a really ancient Jewish name. Like, it sounds like a kind of name uh, I would expect from
0: 16th century in Spain. So yeah, I love it all didn't really strike of... me as a kind of a normal, you know, Spanish name.
1: So I love that actually, uh, but yeah, yeah. So basically, so basically, his life changes. Daniel Sempera's life changes when he just when he receives Julian Carax's book, The Shadow of the Wind. It just changes, right?
0: Yeah, and receives is an interesting way to say it because he doesn't pick it out. The idea is when you're in the the light, the mm-hmm. the cemetery or the library the book picks you you receive the book you know it's 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 not that you go hunting for hours and you you pick out the book it's supposed to be it is an obvious choice this book is just sitting waiting for you you know yeah yeah Um, and of course that's that's by by julian uh carax Uh, to quickly cover another character because he is important throughout the whole series it Mm -hmm. is a, a chap who we meet a little bit through the book and he becomes daniel's Friend and really he becomes Daniel's best friend throughout the tetralogy fermin mm-hmm. Romero uh, Romero de Torres,
1: <laughs> who is very uh quixote uh by the way like not reading don quixote that's i think i was influenced by don Quixote his character um or possibly even Sa- uh, uh, sancho sancho from um the two main characters from Quixote that's a very sort of unusual kind of character who's not he's not living in the real world he he's kind of like yeah. uh He's a tramp at first, but obviously he's a lot. He has a history
0: that maybe we're not going to get. Yeah, too there much. is that element where he doesn't quite live in the real world. And yeah, to yeah, be I honest, know. to some extent, even as he grows up, that kind of remains. You know, to to some extent, he's he's always a kind of slightly more playful uh, character.
1: Yeah, even and, when he
0: matures, like a, yeah. Yeah, even when he matures, and even when very very minor spoiler, but even when he eventually marries, you know, he's he's You know, he still kind of keeps that that Mm. kind of fun character. Um, And then I guess we need to say something about Fumero now, Francisco (laughs) Javier Fumero. He was, um, essentially, he's a police inspector, a very rogue police inspector. And again, he appears in all four novels. He's one of the key antagonists. Uh, He's just the kind of police guy that, you know, everyone's afraid of. And when you're in there, if the police get you, that's the threat. It's, you know, if you don't cooperate, Will send you to Fumero.
1: And that's an interesting. Now, uh, growing up in Spain, I can tell you that, now I don't mean to be harsh, but the Guardia Civil, so the Civil Guard, so that's really, the Civil Guard is not the police per se, but the Civil Guard is something like, it. You're, uh, without getting controversial, it's, um, I'm not, no, I can't compare it now, but it's basically the darker side of the police, at least during Franco's dictatorship, because Guarasivir were, in a sense, kind of a Gestapo back then. They're very different now. No, they really are. I'm not just saying that to be diplomatic, but back mm. then it was uh, the Gestapo equivalent right. because they right. were, and as is shown in the book, they were people who just took people away who weren't conformed to the government. And that lasted up until Franco's uh, dictatorship, 1975. And it sort of lasted a bit longer. And there's a, there's a lot of fear. And I'll be honest with you, I am still feared uh, when I see Guardiola CV because even I who grew up in the 90s and 2000s. Um, have a bit of a, there's a collective trauma. Let's just say about these people. Now they've completely changed. They're really just the same as a police. Completely changed. They're completely normal, but it's got a very dark history. And this is what Carlos Ruiz Zafón explores with this character because these were he was Inspector Fumero. Essentially, is um, essentially is the, the monster, the absolute fear, the Franco uh, representative in this book. And he's 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 mean as hell, and he's like there's no humanity in him. And I'm not going to give the spoilers away, but our side character Fermín Romero de Torres is directly linked to uh, the story here with uh, Inspector Fumero. Mm-hmm. And I just want to add, if, if if any writer, because this is a great, I have to say, like Carlos Ruiz Zafón's, Carlos Ruiz Afon is kind of like the writer I would recommends students of writing to, to read and to learn from and because of all the things we mentioned but also including if you want a good psychotic character then just analyze inspector Fumero. so i can just say that for all of you readers one of the best uh, antagonists ever i mean don't you agree um, i thought i thought it was very sort of you know gritty like the things he came up with and even the things he said
0: and stuff the way he acted it got under your skin yeah i mean he's very gritty and what's what's very interesting to me is it's not just the other uh, you know it's not just um potential criminals or suspects who are afraid of fumero it's yeah, even yeah. other other police you know he's he's just yeah. you know he will just take you and beat you and torture you and you know if you don't confess to the crime he'll pin it on you anyway kind of very rogue and uh, i mean he's a great a great um you know, villain across the entire series of novels and in some he's more important than in others but yep. he always seems to be a looming threat and, and again that talk talks about it's a universe so i love that so
1: i mean a lot of great books everything from harry potter moving on to um ulysses for example because ulysses shares the universe of the dubliners and portrait of a, a portrait of an artist as a young man these authors when you start creating a universe um it can play around so much, you know, cause you have like recurring characters come up there and it becomes a lot more complex because it's like, all of a sudden it's an interlinked uh literature, you know, not just individual kind of books. It's interlinked. I love that. And yeah. And also it's very complex. So like every character is very uh four dimensional. You know it's not just like, like inspector from it, it's not just a saddest for a reason for, for no reason. He's got, he's got his reasons and it's explained very well in the book. I thought, you get, I, I got a minimal compassion for him. I didn't get too much, uh, but I, I saw, I understood how he became such a, such a, such a like horrible person. Yeah.
0: So yeah, great character. He's a great character. I mean, I wouldn't say honestly. I don't think I have really any compassion for him, to be honest. Yeah, very,
1: Yeah, it's like really, it's, it's it's kind of a monster thing, isn't it? Kind of the nightmare you can't accept. I find, and that's a. Yeah. It's it's to be honest, like I find like the slasher movie is that kind of it's that kind of antagonist. Slasher movie, because it's all very Freudian, you know, Slasher movie is a slasher movie monster is a monster you can't get rid of. And you have no compassion. It's the ultimate inner fear. It's your own fear. It's it's a representation of your dark sides of the id. I mean that's why that's why they often talk about psychoanalytics when they talk about slasher films, and but also gothic literature, and that's what this is. It's not Necessarily, it's not the first antagonist that's done like this, but it, I think Saphon took something that wasn't so original, but just mastered the craft with Inspector from as one of the best. Yeah, I mean, you, awesome don't, you don't always have to have an original idea to have
0: a good idea. Exactly. You know? yeah, yeah. So he's definitely mastered it. Yeah. So what's interesting is, you know, to quickly kind of cover what happens, you know, I don't want to to spoil too many plot details, and it's going to get trickier the further we go through a series of linked books. But um, what essentially happens is, you know, he's got this author, Julian um, Carax, and this author has... Well, we didn't really know at the, at the start, you know, where he, this author is, but what we know is that some mysterious person is trying to destroy all of their books, and that's why the book mm-hmm. is sa- okay. saved and rescued in the cemetery. Someone has a vendetta to, to burn every copy of, you know, a burned man is going around looting up every copy of these books and burning them. Yeah, definitely, yeah. And that's a fascinating aspect, and yeah,
1: we can't, I wish I could say, though, because like, I think it's a great twist. But uh, yeah, it's uh, there's a burned man going around, and again, that's something very gothic. There's, it's very gothic, you know. I mean, like what I love about Carlos Ruiz Safon works. There's nothing really pretentious about it because I find a lot of modern authors are trying to be very new, or they're trying to be modernist in a sense of back like Joyce and Virginia Woolf. But Carlos Ruiz Zafón really only cares about doing a great adventure novel, great, great, just a great book. It's not trying to be. It's not loquacious. It's not. It's not like overly intellectual, but it ends up being a very clever book, nevertheless, because it's such a well written book with many little plots. Um, no, I think it's a great read. It's very gripping. It could be a bit draining. I think. I mean, I think we can start talking about the second book now because that's the one, the one I I liked least, to be honest. The uh, The Angels' really? Game. Yeah, it wasn't my. It wasn't. I, I mean, I liked it, but I thought the first and the third book were better. What did you think about I, the, Angels?
0: So the second one? Then, and uh, the Angels' Game is a prequel, uh, as yeah. you said, rather than a sequel. And effectively, we meet this writer called David Martin, uh, David Martin, yeah. and um, and he sort of sort of similar to Carax in the sense that he's he's kind of a lost writer. You know, he would later become part of this club of Barcelona writers whose works are basically forgotten and um, but when yeah. we first meet him he's you know he's starting out he's writing for he's got a really really bad deal with this publisher who basically pay him to write something massive insane like a thousand words a day or just you know he's writing every day under fake names so he never owns the rights to any of his books mm-hmm. and they're just paying him pennies you know and it's the only writing work he can get and he's in like a three-year contract to just keep doing like it's some insane setup that he has where he's just being exploited you know really really badly and uh, and he wants out of that and he wants to write his own works and Mm. he meets someone called a very strange person called andreas uh, corelli who Mm. basically tells him i'm an editor and i you know i can make your contract go away don't worry about that at all but what i need you to do is write a, a work for me and we're essentially going to create our own religion Mm, exactly, yeah. it comes with a bit of a cult
1: kind of thing. Yep. Um, now I've got to say, just why? Why was it my least favorite? It's um, gothic over the top, in my opinion. I, I'll be honest. I, I think it's just slightly too much now. It becomes very heavy on supernatural elements, and I do like all that stuff. But um, I thought the first book had a balance. I thought the first book could have been, could have actually happened. Whereas I feel like the Angels game, just I just can't imagine it happening. So, um, yeah, ah, that, that's my thing. See. Also, you, you only think that because you haven't read the fourth book. Oh, really? Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. I understand. Okay. Oh, I think I know what you're getting at, though. But, okay. Okay. So, I'm just going to guess now that David Martin is a highly mentally unstable character. I'm just going to guess that's what you're getting at. But, okay, if I have to yeah. read the fourth book. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I've got, now I remember that, especially at the end, I can't say too much, but he's not the reliable narrator, the, as in the first book, it's very reliable, but this is the unreliable narrator. Okay, I get it. So I have to read the fourth one, and then this makes sense, you say, yeah, so. Um,
0: well, it's still not 100%, but it it does bring things to context, because I mean, I got so confused towards the end of it when I read it. I started to just to doubt my Spanish because some some parts of the story just weren't making sense. And yeah. you know, and then I realized, well, actually, there are you know, as you say, the the narrator's not reliable, and and things are called into question. And I mean, there's huh. there's crazy parts where he's finding you know bodies everywhere, and he you know he he thinks that this guy killed them, but other people are saying this guy doesn't exist. It all gets a bit crazy, and I don't want to kind of give any details on that. But yeah. um, it's a very, you know, a very strange story. And, of course, in the end, he, David Martin, you know, the author, he gets um, arrested and they... I'm not going to spoil it too much, but he eventually gets arrested for, you know, potential crimes, which, of course, he's telling us that Andreas Corelli, you know, actually committed. But no one else has seen this guy. Oh, that's yeah, exactly. So it's
1: kind of like, yep. Um, so in the sense of, is he... Is he just daydreaming? Is he just fantasizing? And it's kind of like uh, becomes a bit of a Stephen King sort of story, I suppose. Is what's happening real? Is it just is it just his imagination? Uh, yeah, um, and it, there is a sense of obsession with a. Obsession as well. He's obsessed with a woman, so that's all kind of theme He's in it as well. He's obsessed
0: with Christina, who ends up marrying his friend. Yeah, his best friend. So,
1: so there's a, there's a very tragic. I mean, there's always the tragic element to Carlos
0: Rossi, Ruiz Zafón's book. And um, but we we need to mention another female character because although Christine does appear, it's minor. We need to talk about Isabella because she's much more mm-hmm. important, really. Um okay. She's a girl who essentially runs away from home, but you know, I think her you know she didn't have a great home life. Uh, and she wants to be a writer, so she says to David Martin, um, "I will be your apprentice." And she moves in with him. And we should mm. stress he's living in this massive, like, old mansion yeah. that he's got really cheap because no one's lived in it for thirty years or whatever. Yeah, and, and he's only using a small part of it because, like, he can't afford to heat it all and, and clean it all and whatever. <laughs> creepy old mansion, you know.
1: Yeah, I can imagine that's. Uh, I, I can imagine this happening in Barcelona in the twenties. Yeah, it's set in twenties, so before the civil so, war. No, now we're in the twenties.
0: Yeah. And I mean, in this, in this point, we see that, you know, she actually brings some light and some happiness and stability to his life. They get a routine, they're cooking, they're cleaning the house, you know, before he was just kind of writing all day and he didn't really know what was going on. He had no, no kind of perception of the days passing almost, you know, and, and now she brings like nice routine to him and everything. Um, Mm. But she ends up, you know, of course, going to the, to the, um, the bookshop and, um, Mm. and marrying, essentially the father of Daniel Semperi from the exactly. first novel. So she's so, actually Daniel's mother.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So that's an interesting fact there. Um, but yeah, basically the theme is that there's a quote from the book. It's basically, um, un escritor nunca olvide la primera vez que acepta unas monedas. O un elogio a cambio de una historia. Nunca olvide el dulce veneno de la vanidad. So, An author never forgets the first time he or she accepts uh, uh, money in exchange for their work or a compliment in exchange for the story. He never forgets or she never forgets the sweet poison of vanity. And that's basically what happens here. And Carlos Ruiz Afon does talk about it, uh, like the, the morality of using a pseudonym and creating these books that are kind of like you know, like um are they his true works? No, they're not really. So you're never going to write his true novel. And there's a tragedy about that. And I think suppose I suppose that the idea also is being a second novel of that series. Carlos Ruiz had that uh, poison, as had that sweet poison of vanity, basically thrown at him. You know, in in pockets. So he must have felt also that he might have been losing himself as an author and the idea is with Julian Carax who's mentioned in the in the in the first um book who wrote the original um who wrote the original The Shadow of the Wind and David Martin they're both basically novelists who write let's just say kind of cheap uh, gothic books similar to I suppose what these books are but just cheaper and kind of you know whatever the term is, the the five P books, but Julian Carac stays true
0: to himself, but I can't, but something changes in him. I can't say what it is. I think they were writing what we would have called um, old old English books. Would have been called something like Penny Dreadfuls, you know. Penny Dreadfuls, old, that's like, the one, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. What about the third like, and the fourth book? So the third book I read last month. Um, we should stress, the first two books are in and around the 600-page mark. They're more or less the same length. They get the same yeah. kind of treatment. Um, this third book is very short, Com- yeah. you know, comparatively. It's only half the length. It's, you know, it's, a, it's a half installment. It's only about 300 pages. Mm. Um, and it is, in my opinion, the weakest in the series. Oh, really? Uh, not a lot really happens in it. But what it does is it links the first two books together. So it effectively uh, takes place between those two books. We get a bit of backstory for our side character, uh, Fermin Romero de Torres, yeah. um, and you know it turns out that he was actually previously in in a prison in the same prison as David Martin, who as uh, kind of.
1: And, and it does actually take place after the first book, but yeah, but yeah, but basically it links the two stories. Yeah, and that's one
0: thing I really. So, yeah, I should stress it takes place after, but with a lot of flashbacks that take place exactly. in between. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is, it talks about history
1: again. So it does mention an actual place, Montjuic Castle or Castel de Montjuic so or Castillo de Montjuic in Spanish. And um, yeah, basically this place is mentioned, I think in all three uh, places. This is an actual place. This is a military fortress that uh, dates back to 1640. And it's uh, now it's just like a place people visit to. But you, what you got to understand is that after the Spanish Civil War, or maybe during, I think, the end of the Civil War, this place was used to keep political prisoners, meaning Republicans at that time. And Basically, it's mentioned a lot in the third novel, and a bit in the first and second. But I only actually understood what this place was until I read the third novel. So I like that he's uh, explained the history. I thought this was just a normal castle. I did hear about it before. But no, this was a place where a torturer and uh, a few of our characters, not just not just one, two characters at least, if I remember correctly, uh, were imprisoned in. And it's mm. it's brilliantly described. Interesting enough, Count of Monte Cristo is mentioned in the third novel. It and Mondri Castle is kind of a Count of Monte Cristo kind of place. So, mm. there, yeah. So, again, Duma, there you go. It's kind of mentioned in, in the book. And it,
0: I, you know, what on my bookshelf is the Count of Monte Cristo, which I need to read in the next month or two. It's exactly. like 1,200 pages. It's insane. But I'll, I'll get to it. Um, so, I mean, I'm not going to say a lot about the third book. The only yeah. other thing I want to mention is the jailer is a is a chap called um, Mauricio Valls. Um, mm. And he will, you know, become actually more important in the fourth book. Oh, right, um, okay, but he's so the can't jailer, say. and he's telling David Martin, I want you to write for me uh, while you're in prison.
1: Uh, ah, yeah, I remember that, though. So, yeah, um, yeah. so basically it's left off with kind of like on loose end. Now, tell me about and the i
0: Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, no. Go ahead, you. I was just gonna say, as far as we know, um, it seems like they can just imprison anyone they want. It's just anyone that Vaz kind of wants to have in his prison, he can just have there indefinitely.
1: But that's very, that's not
0: far-fetched. That's
1: Spain and that era. That Spain Franco era could do what you want. It's like Mussolini, ital. It's like uh, Mussolini, yeah. Italian, Mussolini, Italy, or Hitler, uh, Germany. Not as extreme, but still kind of that direction it's dictatorship i've definitely so tell me and us about the fourth book but please no spoilers because i really uh, yeah so
0: i'm not going to talk a lot about the fourth book because although in my opinion it is actually the best really it's um i don't want to it's the sequel to all three so i don't want to spoil much yeah Um, the fourth book is almost two books so we start out with in madrid with a, a girl who is a not exactly a cop maybe like an fbi type equivalent you know And she's called uh, Alicia. And she's working for a chap called uh, Leandro. And he basically says, what has happened is Alicia, um, you know, had a bad upbringing. She's an orphan. And this cop kind of got her, this guy Leandro, who's like an FBI leader or whatever. And he got her and he basically said, work for me. And she's been working for him most of her adult life. And so he says to her at the start of this book, one last job and I will let you go. I will give you your freedom. Um, but you have to do this job with an actual police. We're not going to kind of go renegade on this one. So they, huh. they bring in a, a policeman called Vargas and uh, she has to work with him and she's used to working alone. But I mean, they, they settle that easily enough. Okay, interesting, um, interesting. And although he does appear a little bit at the beginning, the main villain is not any longer Fumero. We have a new cop called Hindaya, And there's a line in the book where Hendaya says, you might remember my friend Fumero. He taught me everything <laughs> I know. But I'm uh, but he's worse, you know, and his torture is extreme. I mean, he's cutting people's hands off, and you know,
1: sorry, which is ex- who is worse, the new guy? Huh? Okay, the new
0: guy. Yeah, uh, you know, okay. he'll just cut your hand off. He'll torture your genitals. He will, you know, um, hit the mom in front of the kids, things like okay. that. Like he's just really extreme, you know. Wow. Okay. And he's that. the new villain, and he's at times after Alicia because he wants, you know, they he's the cop. But at the same time, everyone's afraid of him, even the FBI girl. Do you know what I mean? Like he's just yeah, yeah. no one wants to get involved with this guy. Yeah,
1: that that's again that's very Spanish, Spanish, I feel like. I feel like because again, like the civil nowadays they're just fine. But I mean like back in the days, they were probably also fine, but there were there were definitely a few radicals. Uh, you know, and um yeah, just as in all these dictatorships, there are a few fanatics, um fanaticos, you know, who did this. Um yeah. as a as a Catalonian I think Carlos Izafon might have been more sensitive to this violence. I think a Madrid author would have portrayed everything quite differently to Catalonia because Catalonia was repressed; it had always been repressed. Yeah. And uh, definitely during Franco era, because Franco era was all about the monarchy and about Spain, and Catalonia was all about the republic and about not belonging to Spain. So
0: it's interesting that it's Barcelona
1: in the Civil War; it's a lot more important. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. Well. They're being tailed by a chap called Rovira, who's a really rookie cop that someone's basically sent to tail them while they do their investigations. That's gonna right. become important, but I'm not gonna say why. Um okay. But what is their mission? A certain politician by the name of Mauricio Valls, former jailer. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, okay. Has been kidnapped. And they want to get him back, or do they? Right. So okay. her task is to find him, and that's That's the story of the first half of the novel. Um, And of course, they end up moving from Madrid to Barcelona. And then the second half of the novel is effectively the sequel to the first half, plus all of the other books. So we start to see um, the Semperi and Sons bookshop. We see Daniel Semperi and Fermín um, Romero de Torres. They talk a lot about Isabella, about David Martin, that whole story. Everything just comes together in this unbelievable way. Um, and it yes. turns out that there are more links between some of the characters. And I'm not going to say who or why, so, but there are okay. more links between people than you would have thought. Uh, and it almost gets a bit Victorian in the sense that the coincidences are almost too good. Nice. You know, okay. in once or twice, but it's, it's a lot of links between the characters. Um, there's one thing this book does that I don't like, uh, and that is it answers the questions of the second book maybe you would like that since you're currently not sure how you feel about the second book but it okay. answers those questions quite definitively in a way that um, I, I prefer the mystery almost okay yeah i know what you mean no i get it yeah um... but yeah it all it all it all kind of comes to a head and then the story takes incredible twists i mean there's an underlying story about what is happening in that prison and why you know viles has been kidnapped that is shocking and in crazy and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say what it is but it's you know it's things do get quite gothic and quite intense now
1: yeah and i just want to mention this i think that a lot of my favorite books um they're basically so i've talked about 100 years of solitude for example um you know uh, they're basically and this whole kind of uh, series of books basically it's the stories you hear as a kid. I feel because my, especially my dad told me a lot of stories about just about his life and about lives of others and my grandparents and my German grandparents, particularly, I mean, for some reason, those three come in mind, a lot of stories. And I realized now that I've started writing, a lot of these stories are coming out. So basically storytellers, you know, are just, they're basically, I feel like a storyteller, no matter how original he or she is, is, uh, Compiler of stories in the romantic sense that the Grimm brothers were, for example. So, like that romantic sort of folktale collector. In a sense, a lot of these great books are done the same. I think Carlos Risa Fon joins those group of uh, folk folk kind of scientists. So, like these a collector of anecdotes, because I'm sure it resonates with a lot of stories that I've heard and facts that these are basically stories he must have heard as a as a as a child from his grandparents from people in barcelona as an adult as well but i feel like as a child especially because i mean i know that for example dostoevsky he was very traumatized uh when a girl got raped in front of him by an adult drunk guy and that kind of um and 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 I love I love dostoevsky novels there's a the theme of old man um sexually wanting a child it's very traumatic and I think like it's all basic – these kinds of books that expel the trauma, the collective trauma, the individual trauma. And this is basically Barcelona has been traumatized. Now it's going to the psychoanalysts. And and four books have come out of it. That's what I love yeah. about
0: it. I mean it, it comes across as effectively a, a broken city at times.
1: Yeah. Uh, very – I love it. And I, I want to give you the ultimate twist. Here's the ultimate twist. This is what you're going to love. And I think this is why – if you're going to get Carlos Rizafon, you might as well just buy all his eight books plus a book of short stories, nine books. Because I'm going to mention
0: the short stories in a moment, by the way, but yeah, continue.
1: Because because uh, the, the the Juvenile Trilogy or the Trilogy uh, – no, the tetralogy as well, four books for young adults. Carlos Rizafon said these are books that essentially Julian Carrex remember, listeners, Julian Carrex, ah. the author – of the original Shadow of the Wind book in the first book who appears as a character. He appears as a character. He's a novelist, a kind of a supernatural novelist, uh, you know, that uh, Penny Dreadfuls. Carlos ruiz said that his first four books for a young authors, for young uh, uh, readers are essentially the kind of books Julian Carrick's would have written. And this is why I think when I read that, I realized that makes sense because there is a more of a supernatural element in these four books, it's easier to read. They're shorter, so it is a penny dreadful sort of story, uh, and quantity of pages. And yeah, They're short books. That was also nice, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite tight, uh, tightly written. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. That's, the, that's
0: cool. I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, and are, they they tend to be historic. So that uh, I mean, all of his books, I think all of his books actually are set in the past. Maybe not. Maybe one. I can't remember now. But basically, yeah, this is what Julian Carrick's would have written. And it's beautiful because in Shadow of the Wind, it's mentioned that Julian Carrick's had written several novels. And like, so essentially, these could have been his four novels and we're reading them. So if you're the ultimate fan of the Cemetery of Lost Books series, you're going to read the other four books because they're kind of like standalone novels, but they're kind of like the novels this guy would have written. And it just links all up to one big universe. Well, All he's ever
0: written, Carlos Rousseff 1. You've reminded me of something that I need to tell you. I left out two important details about the fourth book, The Labyrinth oh. of Spirits. Number okay. one is, in addition to Carax and David Martin, we do meet a, another kind of lost author, called Lost. Victor, I don't know how to pronounce his surname, Mataish. Mat- 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 I'm not sure. Yeah, it's a Catalan um, name, so it won't be. Yeah, it's a Catalan name. And he wrote the, uh, you know, the Labyrinth of Spirits, and he wrote these these uh, stories uh, for uh, his right. daughter, um, Alice, almost like an Alice in Wonderland type uh, of deal. Mm. Um, so they're looking for his books, and it turns out that, you know, when they, when they go to Val's and find out that he's been kidnapped, they find this rare banned book in his apartments. And that's part of the ongoing story. So it's it's not, although it's more of a police procedural at times, it's not so distanced from the other novels. But the second, the last part is, and this is a very minor spoiler, but I'm only giving it to you uh, because it, it doesn't it doesn't factor into the to the novel. It factors okay. into the epilogue. Um, but we do meet Julian Carax again. All right. Okay. Okay. So there's love. This different... is... Everything comes together. But what, what he does is this novel's too long. Okay. It's almost a thousand pages. I was very proud to read it in Spanish um, in two and a half weeks, but okay. it, it's too long. So you've got the first book, which is the book about Alicia and Vargas and their kind of, um, and their little friend Fernandito and their, um, their, their police procedural. Then you've got this amazing sequel that is effectively the sequel to the, all the books combined. And then you've just got several epilogues. It's as if Zafon just didn't want to stop writing. There is just epilogues and epilogues and we jump forward 30 years and we jump forward more years and we just keep going and going. And we, we see the character, you know, we see um, Daniel's kid grown up and he, you yeah. know, we, we meet Carax again and it just kind of keeps going and going. And it's, it's strange, but when it ends, you know, it's over. Like, you know, even if he hadn't passed away, you know that there was not going to be more, you know? Right. Okay. Okay. But okay the other well... thing I wanted to mention because you, you brought it up yourself was the short stories because I have yeah. a collection of them right here and I, I read them this week. Came, came out posthumously, so just came out. Yes.
1: Or did it come out just after his death? I think so, right? I think it's not
0: just after then, just before, like in and around was the time, anyway. Yeah. And I have a lovely hardback cover here that uh, was gifted to me. It's, it's called good. La Ciudad de Vapor: Todos los Cuentos, and these are just short stories, and they're not all related, you know, to the uh, the, 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 the the trilogy. Some of them mm. are just little stories. And you can read right. them, and some of them are only a few pages, and some are a little bit longer. Um, but the whole book's only 200 pages, you know. And it's just like right. a, 10 or so stories. Um, but one or two of them have important links to the series. Um, mm. We meet some some Semperi ancestors who've been running right. bookshops you know, many, many, you know, hundreds of years ago. Oh, great. Um, which is kind of cool. And we also, and this is very interesting, we meet Cervantes before he has written... Yeah. Don Quixote, and there's a certain chap, he has written a book, and someone, he goes to an an editor, a mysterious editor, Ah. and this editor takes his book, throws it in the fire, and basically says, this is garbage, but one day, you will write a book that will change the world, and that editor's name was Andreas Corelli. There you go. That's great, isn't it? And that then calls into question all the facts that the fourth book had established about the second book. So it, right. it, it just changes things again because now we still don't know really what the story is with, with Corelli.
1: What a legend, yeah. No,
0: just, and I have, uh... one, I have one quote. I'm going to paraphrase it because you know, it's a whole paragraph in Spanish. But basically, mm-hmm. Corelli says to Cervantes, I will make you an offer and my offer is this. You are going to write a great work um, but in order to do this work, you will lose the thing you love the most. Your work will be celebrated, you know, envied and imitated for all of time, but it will leave you with a hole in your heart a thousand times greater than the glory that the book will bring you. Do you accept the offer? And he says, yes. I would not accept that offer.
1: (laughs) Don't don't forget that um, Miguel uh, Miguel Cervantes only had one arm. I was wondering if I I thought I was going to go for you're going to lose your arm for this.
0: Oh, I mean, maybe you're supposed to know but, but, that, or you're supposed to kind of read into that. No, but like, know. yeah,
1: maybe like, or maybe it's just deeper than that. Maybe it's like even more crucial than like yeah. losing one. Yeah, I felt it was, like it was more as, that
0: he would lose his heart and soul, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's getting Zach off topic, you know, Go getting ahead. off topic a bit. Um, no, Cervantes' life was very interesting, a very kind of suitable life for a Carlos Luis Afonso's story, um, mocked. I think it was called um, Miguel el Manco. I think uh, like um, something like Miguel the armless chap. I think that was his nickname. And like Lope de Vega, the the, the theatrical um, the playwright, just mocked him. You know, like no one he thought Don Quixote was a joke. Like the guy just died in 1616 um, on my birthday, 23rd of April, and just like kind of just you know a bit of a joke figure. So mm-hmm. it was too ahead of his time in the sense of yeah. That, Miguel Cervantes could have become just uh, an author belonging to the to the cemetery of lost books. So I, I think the story resonates—a tragic figure as well, losing an arm, being mocked, that kind of thing. So
0: yeah. Well, look, and, I mean, um, I, re- I recommend the whole the whole series, you know, and I want to read some of those young adult books as well. Yeah, um, I do, yeah. You know, I, I definitely want to get this. But PJ, I think I hear the the phone ringing. Shall we? Uh, shall we pick up and see who's calling in live yeah. to the Books Boys?
1: Let's do it. Who's calling? Jesus.
0: Let's pick it up. So you're through to books, boys. I'm Dean, and I've got PJ with me. Who have we got on the line?
2: Hi, my name's Annabelle Steele. Nice to meet both.
1: Yeah, nice to meet you, Annabelle.
0: Nice What's to meet you, Annabelle. I know yeah. who you are, and PJ knows who you are. But why don't you tell the <laughs> listeners a little bit about yourself?
2: Okay, so um, first and foremost, I'd say I'm a primary teacher who's just started writing, and I'm going to be publishing my first book in March um write young adult books and my first book is called being armani um and yeah it's aimed at young adults it's all about a teen girl who is going through lots of usual teen things boys friendships um anxiety social media and you know all the things that we go through as a teen or things that teens are going through now not necessarily things i experienced but at the same time it's she's going through lots of um family troubles so her mum and dad have got divorced her dad is getting remarried so she's it's a book basically about her dealing with all of that and her kind of overcoming it and kind of finding herself at the end of it and basically just becoming you know an adult in the same way that we all do kind of realizing what matters and what doesn't really but yeah cool
0: That was awesome and wow. the the sort of teen mental health thing and everything that's something that was um dear to yourself because i did read that you actually released an adult coloring book before is that right?
2: Yeah so previously a few years ago um, I did so I created some adult living books so they were just mindfulness pictures little doodles kind of things I did and alongside it there was a poem to go with each one Um, and I created a booklet and kind of as you do you kind of print it off and give it to family and friends and then they said oh it's actually really good so oh, I printed awesome. more printed and decided to sell them on to people I work with I work in a primary school so there's lots of teachers who are interested in it um so yeah sold them on and then decided actually I think I'll give the money towards a good cause and donated all the money to mine charity so that was really you know it was brilliant actually it was good to get involved with
0: awesome did you know was it after doing that that you decided that you wanted to write a novel or was that something you'd always wanted to do anyway
2: Um, I've always, I've always written things, really. Poetry, short stories, novels, um, and I've always entered, like, online competitions, and I suppose being a primary teacher, because we're always working with the children, getting them to um, write pieces and then edit their writing and go back and make it better, etc. It does kind of get you thinking, well, actually, what can I do? So I've always done little bits um, on the side, and it was just when I entered this particular competition, it was to write a novel um a young adult novel I thought actually that's right up my street because that's what I read etc um oh. yeah so it was it was a competition really
1: awesome
2: first awesome. novel that I've actually ever finished writing there were all the rest are just the first four or five chapters and then I've kind of gone oh I don't yeah. know where I'm going so it is the first novel I've ever finished writing right so it, it wasn't
0: me, yeah. it wasn't the first attempt it was just the first one that you really saw it through
2: yeah it was the first one that made it not the first attempt there's been many, <laughs> yeah first one that made it
0: yeah,
1: I know the feeling because um I just finished my first novel and there were many first attempts as well. Many first attempts. <laughs> and like we just you just have to keep on going and then it eventually just flows, I find. When it's the right one, it just flows. Did you did yeah, you have definitely. like the same feeling?
2: Yeah. yeah, definitely. And the story changes so much along the way as uh, well. Yeah. It's been a bit of a whirlwind process because I think the story when I first started writing, um, it was probably aimed at a younger age I thought it was young adult but then I think that's just through maybe some of the young adult books that I read Mm. Um, and then as I kind of developed I thought actually no I need to get that kind of nitty-gritty scene in there for people to understand what she's going through and it it seemed a little bit older I think now I'm you know turning 30 soon so now looking back on what teens are actually experiencing it's Mm. not the same as what I was experiencing so it's kind of like they can handle a little bit more and especially kind of um then sending it on to the publishers they were like yeah make us see it let us see it let us see the reality of it and I was like oh can we handle it but yeah you know and in the way that I've written it they can they can definitely handle it yeah definitely.
0: And did you find it difficult at times to keep relating to you know you know to young adults and teens now that because I'm I'm about to turn 30 myself very soon and I feel so alienated from the younger generation I'm like an old man 30 years before I should be you know did you find that difficult at times or did it just come naturally enough?
2: Yeah definitely found it difficult I think when I read because I read a lot of young adult um, books and when I read them I think um, oh how ridiculous you know this can't be real <laughs> you know how do young adults relate to this this can't be what's happening but I love it all the same and you know I keep going back for more so I must enjoy it but at the same time, writing it, I was like, Are "People going to really relate to this? Are young adults going to <laughs> write it from kind of the point of view of an old person? who's kind of going, you know, this is unrealistic. This is, and there were points at which the, uh, you know, the publishers did say, you know, make her, you know, she can have a tantrum. She's, you know, sixteen years old. Of course, she'd have a tantrum or something like that. And I was thinking, how unrealistic? No, you wouldn't. You'd <laughs> get through. <laughs> so it was difficult at times. Yeah.
1: Awesome. Um, I also found, um, you know, when I started writing the novel I just finished, it was supposed to be for young people as well, because I'm also a teacher. And yeah, but in the, in the end, it just ended up being a lot more, I don't know, it's, it ended up being a lot more adulty in some sense. But I think that it's still a, a good book for teenagers to read. Because Mm -hmm. all right, there's some brutal passages, I suppose. Because there's some like uh, Second World War history involved in my book, and but I just find that no, but these kids they need to know about that kind of Second World War or yeah, brutal stuff happens to to uh, teens and in the teen world, and I find it's all very important. He can't just numb them with kind of chewing gum, pop fiction. Uh, that's good. That's good too. But he can't just do that all the time. A bit of every, a bit of a mixture. I find. Yeah,
2: definitely. I think I found that as well because. I'd kind of, there are some scenes, some flashback scenes within the story um, yeah. where Amani kind of, she she remembers things that have happened between her mum and dad and she, uh-huh. she, throughout the story, she kind of thinks, oh, well, why did they have to get a divorce? And will they get back together? And, you know, as you do as a, as a teen. Um, but then there are some flashbacks that she's kind of denied herself remembering. But as she remembers them, I kind of wrote them in quite softly at first. And then I uh-huh. thought, you know, because you know, if young teens have been through this, they will have seen these things that, you know, it's not been, you know, blurred out for them. They will actually have witnessed these things.
3: Yeah.
2: And if they haven't, then reading about it and finding out that some people might have been through this and some people might have experienced this is just as important as well. So I think I completely understand what you mean. It is kind mm. of, you know, there are um, underlying themes which are quite adult within the story. Um mm. But hopefully I've written them in a way that teens can kind of go, actually, I can relate to that. Or, oh, my goodness, yeah. I didn't realise that's, you know, and how would I deal with that and, you know, relate in that yeah. way. Definitely. Yeah. Awesome. And
0: tell us, tell us this. Um, what have you yourself been reading during the, the kind of COVID, the lockdown and everything? Have you had time to do a bit, a bit of reading yourself?
2: Um, I've done bits of reading. So I'm currently reading a book called Hijab and the Red Lipstick, um, which is, I've kind of, throughout this, process I've made friends with lots of different authors and um, so Yusra is one of the authors that's been giving me lots of advice and she's been brilliant and her book was published at the beginning of this year and um, so I'm currently reading her book it's taken a while because obviously I'm doing my edits at the same time so I'm finding yeah. like my own reading has slowed down as well um, before that I read When Life Gives You Mangoes which was yeah. again a, a young adult book I think maybe a little bit younger than Young Adult actually, but I really, really enjoyed it. I kind of inhaled that book, kind of mm. went, edits on hold. I'm gonna read this. <laughs> brilliant. Okay. I um, really that. enjoyed it. Yeah, I, think I it, right. it. Yeah.
1: So it's yeah. you recommend it? Okay.
2: Definitely, yeah, definitely. Okay. Cool, cool. Um, and prior to that, I had finished um what's the second The Sun is also a star, so Nicola Yoon, um, which is again another young adult book, brilliant book um so yeah and I was kind of at the same time as these are all books that I've been on my list for a while and I wanted to read I was kind of trying to at the same time get myself in that frame of mind of okay what do I enjoy reading what makes you know what makes me lights my fire and that's what I want to include within my book so yeah.
0: So you're reading things that similar sort of genre similar area that you could maybe draw from in your own in your own writing as well yeah?
2: Yes yeah yeah.
0: And this is your. This is going to be your first published book. It comes out twenty fifth of March. Is that right? Yes. Sweet. Do you okay. want to tell us briefly about the the imprint because it's the first. It's the first book on hashtag Black imprint. Isn't that right?
2: Yeah, that's right. So hashtag Black is um, an imprint of hashtag Press, and it is um, represents your um, Black and um, Asian authors. Um, it's a brilliant, brilliant um, company to work with because prior to that I have kind of thought about submitting to publishers and it's, it's really hard to explain but I thought about submitting to publishers but sometimes it's difficult to kind of stand out from the crowd and kind of push yourself forward as you can imagine but I think with Hashtag um, they just kind of made you feel like actually you know as a black author your voice is really important and your story is really important and the fact that you are um, tackling all of these um subjects that might be tackled in other books but you're tackling it from the point of view of a young black team which might not have been done before um is really important to us and, and the fact that they believed in the story kind of made me go actually yeah it is a, a slightly different um take on the story and it is it offers something a little bit different so it was really nice to kind of have them kind of pick me um as the winner of the competition as one of the winners of the competition awesome. uh, there were three of us yeah
1: well, congratulations
2: thank you <laughs>
0: And what's the plan going forward then, you know, assuming let's let's assume that the book's really successful and everything. Do you have ideas for more or what do you want to do, you know, after that?
2: Yes, I do. I've got lots of ideas for the books. And as I said, I've got lots of started books that I'd love to go back and finish. Mm-hmm. Now. now that I've know, I know the process of writing a novel, I think actually, yeah, it's you know, I can go back and finish those um so I've done lots of work on how I plan a novel and things and I don't just sit down and start writing anymore I kind of you know plan out my scenes and think about where I want it to go a little bit more um so yeah the plan is hopefully to you know be, being Imani to be really successful and then write some more books work with hashtags some more um or work with other publishers or work with other authors I'd love to do a collaboration with the girls that I've met through hashtag um, and do some short stories from all different points of views because as I say um there were three winners of the competition um and we're all very different but we're all from ethnic minority backgrounds and it would be quite nice to do short stories alongside them and you know give different start. takes on experiences and things like that that'd be lovely um but yeah keep pushing as I say I'm still a primary school teacher so that as well but yeah they're all rooting for me so it's quite nice
0: <laughs> you they're all behind you yeah
2: yeah, definitely. And I keep saying you can't read it until you're Ooh. a little bit older. I'm going to buy it. <laughs> I,
0: think they, I think you're going to read it anyway.
2: Um, I'm not too sure. I think a lot of, um, I've had a lot of interest of parents just wanting to know what it is. So I've been very clear that it's quite, you know, there's some quite adult themes there because my class are quite young. Um, but I think a lot of them just want to support. So it's quite nice because I think they just want to buy it to support and then hold on to I know my niece is, my niece is only six and she's already said, I'm going to have a copy and keep it on the shelf until I'm old enough to read it. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I think uh, your voice is very relevant, you know, especially um, if I can say, so just women in general don't have enough of a voice in in literature. And I find um, like in in my novel, I was giving like a lot of uh, women more, like to be honest in my novel women have more power than men but in the end I'm just a man writing a book about yeah. women and it's not the same I think it's just it needs to be a woman writing about women's issues and from their perspective because in the end yeah. it's something it, it's kind of your task and I feel it's very relevant and there are not enough uh, you know like like Angela Carter should be a lot more recognized for example than she is there are all these women authors so it's yeah. about time it's a it's a great idea yeah. I love it and yeah. you're talking about something very really relevant you're talking about the problems of of youth nowadays and youth nowadays must be so confused or even youth 20 years ago, 10 years ago. Yeah. And that's really vele- relevant. And I, I, I find the young, um, and like the teenager kind of market doesn't have enough books yet. So I think Harry Potter did a good job. It did, it did target some issues that are very relevant, including death and including like teen angst. That a lot of these teenage books are aren't really kind of like I feel like they're very two dimensional. You know, so I find your your book sounds very just relevant, and I like that. So I definitely want yeah. to read. It sounds very yeah, authentic. Hopefully.
2: Yeah, hopefully it is authentic, and you know, parts of the book it's not um it's not a a, tr- a real story, a real life story. Yeah, sure. Books do draw upon my own experiences, and I can only you know hope through kind of what I've gathered through my own life and talking to friends as we were growing up that you know parts of it are relevant and as you say that sort of the voice of a woman um it's very important because uh, there's parts in the book where you know Amani being a young teen girl um kind of she's very vulnerable and she kind of follows the crowd and and gets herself into a lot of bother um and that's what a lot of young teen girls go through so I'm hoping that through reading the book a lot of young girls will see actually you've got the power to say no and you've got the power to make decisions and things are your choice so hopefully um that message comes through as well yeah, awesome,
0: awesome. Yeah, I've one, one last question for you that we're gonna we're gonna ask to everyone we interview if you could have written one classic it can be a modern <laughs> classic if you don't want to go really old literature if there's one classic that you wish you'd written what would it be
2: I always say Noughts and Crosses by Mallory Blackman oh yes yeah that's just for me that was just a massive eye-opening book um and yeah it just completely changed the way that I looked at books I've always loved reading but when I read that um yeah it was just it just changed a lot for me and I think I, I've I've said previously um and on my website that um that was one of the books the first books that I read by a black author um that I was reading while I was in school and that a lot of my friends were reading as well. so there'd often been books that I would read um because maybe family members are given them to me etc and my friends were like who's that I've never heard of it who's that person but this was the first one that they were like I love Mallory Blackman she's amazing and I was like really proud to be able to say oh well I love her books and you know so for me that book was just amazing yeah
0: awesome I mean I read I read Nuts and Crosses I read a few Mallory Blackman books back in school myself so she's a brilliant author I think that's a really good choice we are going to quickly end with... A, I'm going to read the paragraph synopsis to get some hype here. So it's been over a year since that night. And for Amani, the details are becoming a blur. All she knows for sure is she doesn't want to end up like her parents. So when she moves to a new city, she has to start all over again. Amani wants to focus on her new life. But when a face from the past comes back, she has to remember everything she has tried to forget. That is going to be out late March, but you can pre-order it now on the website. Is that right?
2: Yeah, that's right. You can pre-order it on the website and on Waterstones as
0: well. Awesome! Thank you so much for calling
2: in. Have a really good day.
0: Yeah, Thanks for well having you.
2: me. You Color too. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. You Looking too. Looking
0: forward to
1: reading it.
2: <laughs> Thanks. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye.
0: Well, guys, that was Annabelle Steele. You can visit her website beingasteel.com. dot That's Steele S T E E L E, and her debut book, Being a Manny, Out, twenty fifth of March
2: this podcast is a member of the blueberry network
0: i'm gonna take a quick moment to remind the listeners of two things number one you can email us at booksboys at hotmail.com and tell us what you're reading and you can win yourself a mystery book still one or two more of those to be given away but don't forget as well you can go to booksboys.com go to our website and you can find links for all the different places to listen so that mm-hmm. includes obviously iTunes and Spotify, but there's other places like iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Deezer, Podchaser, plenty of places. So if you don't have iTunes, and you don't have Spotify, there are of course other ways to listen, and we'd really appreciate it if you, you know, if you uh, did, you know, spread the word about those. Anyone listening like on that. Apple, it'll be amazing if you could give us a five star review as well, just to kind of help support the show.
1: That'd be awesome, dude. Yeah.
0: And on the site, of course any book that we recommend. There's some links there, particularly for our American listeners, that you can purchase the book and and you know give some kickback to the show and there's links for Audible audiobooks as well. And we do really mm. recommend if you do want an on audiobook, Audible is the biggest library of those. Um, and you can get use the link on our site and we get some some pennies for that as well. But PJ, shall we shall we move on to our recommendations? Do you have a book uh, to recommend? An old favorite?
1: Yeah, an old favorite of mine. Um I would recommend I mentioned it last time when talking about my dad, but I didn't officially recommend it. Uh, and that's the book Heidi. Uh, so Heidi, everyone knows Heidi, but not that many people have made read Heidi. So it's more famous for being a film adaptation. Now, I grew up with the Hayao Miyazaki Isao Takahata adaptation of Heidi. And I'm not sure if people realize that. So that's those are the guys who did at the Ghibli films. Mm-hmm. And the day before doing the Ghibli films, like Spirited Away, Princess Mononoke, did a few literary adaptation series, and one of them was Heidi. Um, it was a, it's a brilliant uh, anime adaptation of Heidi, absolutely brilliant. And most people, most kids, probably grew up around the world uh, watching it uh, in the '90s or '80s. Uh, I, I certainly I did. Uh, so that's the one I remember. But when I read Heidi, I read Heidi as a kid, but in English translation. I remember really enjoying it. But I read it in the original German a few years ago, just before my Irish granddad passed away. And it blew my mind, honestly. It just blew my mind um, because this might be possibly the best children's book out there ever. So written by Johanna Spyri wow. in 1888. And uh, a lot of these women... Uh, now, first of all, I have to say, I think most I think children's literature tends to be a woman's uh, craft, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. Generally, I'm a big fan of a woman's authors, a bit more than man. But I think just particularly children's, there's just something about a woman writing for children that's very different. For example, Pinocchio was written by a man. That's a very different children's kind of story than Heidi, the In and Blighted books, Pippi uh, Longstocking's. Um, woman writing, a, a woman writing a book for children um, or the Moomin Trolls, they tend to be very community-based uh, and for the community books. Uh, Pinocchio is kind of more of a more tale. The man, they, they get very macabre, I find, men, children's literature. And Heidi is the ultimate, both innocence, ideal kind of uh, Bildungsroman about a girl growing up in a basically almost utopian landscape. But ut- utopian is not the right words because utopia means doesn't exist. It's a real place, Switzerland. Again, she beautifully describes switzerland so another great landscape portrait novelist and uh but it also deals with the darker themes as does as does almost every great children's book and that's basically that she is essentially an orphan um it's sort of indicated that her parents were sort of kind of unresponsible sort of kind of like as if they just had an affair and like or they're alcoholics there's kind of like a deeper theme there and she goes to live with her um and was her granddad in the mountains anyway just read it highly recommend it for that if you want the ultimate childhood book that's also ju- that's also just beautifully written it's the
0: best book i've ever read written in german possibly an absolutely beautiful book it's a book i've never read actually i'm, I'm letting us die and i'm supposed to be a you know a kind of a classic literature buff and I haven't yeah, read
1: that. So I, it's sometimes some neglected from serious kind of academics, but I mean, like, honestly, it is one of the best books out there, I think. So there you go.
0: I think you're better with the world literature and I'm better with the stuffy old English uh, novels, you know, but... Uh, Ach, well, you know, together
1: we can... Together <laughs> we're doing this
0: show, you know? So what do you recommend? And uh, My recommendation is couldn't be more different from he- than Heidi. Yeah. It's a novel. I mean, it is an English novel. Um, I read it, I don't know why, in Spanish. Uh, it's a novel by Glenn Cooper. He's a, um, an American. He's a Harvard uh, you know, graduate. La huh. Biblioteca de los Muertos. So, the library of, of the dead, basically. Okay. Um, don't know what... This is... They're all. They're the relatively modern. I think 2009 or so, this book came out, and there are two sequels that I really, really want to read, and I haven't yet. Okay. Um, this book... Starts with a chap called Will Piper, and it's a usual, it starts out like a normal, you know, FBI police procedural type book. Um, And there's some murders that he needs to solve. Right. But they can't figure out, it doesn't seem like anyone, you know, how these murders are happening. Um, And they think it's all the same person, but they can't find any way that they're linked to the same person could possibly have committed them all. And, you know, they've just got circumstantial evidence and things like that. And there's some love stories and, you know, whatever else. And he gets a partner that he ends up sleeping with, you know, the kind of tropes that you would expect. But then strange things happen. Then there are parts of the book set in the 13th century in a monk kind of um, in an abbey. And they've got a collection of, you know, they've got their books, they've got their library and all the rest of it. They've got their teachings in this little village. And there's a person there, the seventh son of a seventh son who is Mm. just writing lists of names and births and deaths. And he writes from the past through the present and into the future. And, you Uh know, there are bits set in the 1300s. There are bits set in the 700s. There are bits set in 2009. It just goes through. There's bits set around the war with Churchill. It just goes through a lot of history, linking everything together with the, I might've gotten that wrong. It might be in the 700s. The guy wrote the book, Um, but there are scenes in the 1300s as well. And it just, it goes through a lot of different, it's amazing. And the sequel's called The Book of Souls, and then the third one's called The Keepers of the Library, and I really, really want to get those. I don't even care if it's in English or Spanish, I just, I really want to get them. Uh, The last book that we're going to talk about today, it's time for our Guilty Pleasure segment. I do quickly have one Guilty Pleasure book um, for you, PJ, Mm -hmm. by S.J. Watson, Before I Go to Sleep. I've, I've heard no, about, this yeah. is just a little one. Yeah, it's yeah, you know, it's a few hundred pages. You can, you can get through it quickly enough. It's one of those kind of page-turner thrillers. Um, it's been turned into a movie, and quite a good movie, I would say. Um, but the basic premise is this girl has amnesia, and she wakes up every day not knowing who she is. And her husband has to teach her who she is. And, you know, every day, I'm your husband, and you love me, and, you know, whatever, and, you know, here's our life together, and teach her everything knowing that every day when they go to sleep, she will lose her memory. You might be mm-hmm. thinking, oh, is that similar to like the notebook in a way? But no, it's not. Because then mm-hmm. she starts thinking that something's not quite right in it's... her life. Mm-hmm. And then we wonder, well, is this guy even really her husband? And then mm-hmm. it goes down a whole spiral of craziness.
1: So guys, a lot of basic, apart from Heidi, it's been a lot of Gothic sort of themed uh, books, a bit of a bit of a Halloween uh atmosphere for February. Uh, but why, yeah. why
0: not do Halloween in the month of Valentine's, you know? That's that's exactly. what I say.
1: Exactly. And there's love there's love in every one of those books like, almost. Don't know about the one you just mentioned, but yeah.
0: I so, think yeah. every book needs to have some kind of love. Of, you know, even if it's only of, briefly hinted at. It needs to be somewhere.
1: Bit of love, guys. Sending a bit of love guys from the from the one and only books boys, yeah.
0: Now the last thing I want to do, PJ, we received an email from a fan called Valerie the Pigeon Detective. Um right. saying, Dean, you've mentioned on the show a few times that you like Dickens. What did you think of the last uh, David Copperfield movie that came out about a year ago? Now, I don't know if I've mentioned this to you before, PJ, um, but I did watch uh, around Christmas time, the 2020 or 2019 David Copperfield. Uh, it's a movie that I would call uh, garbage. And it's a movie that if I could physically own it on DVD, I would put it into the garbage bin and then set fire to the garbage bin. (laughs) Um, This is is utter garbage. And I understand what they were trying to do. They were trying to do the modern inclusive thing, and, you know, why have we just got all white people in the novel? I get it. But the problem is, this is a novel set in Victorian England, and it's just a bit unusual, I think, and a bit unrealistic to have... First of all, David Copperfield was not Indian. um, But secondly, when we have maybe black characters with Indian parents and Indian lawyers and black characters with white parents. It all just gets a very strange. Um, and I don't think that that's what Victorian London was like. And I, I think it gets a bit unrealistic. Right. But that's not my only criticism, because that's a minor detail, really. Yeah, my other is, criticism it. is that it's its a garbage film. Right, and I great. think that the people who, who made it may have never read the book. I think what happened is they made a story and someone said to them, you know, this is kind of similar to David Copperfield." And they thought, oh, brilliant. We'll just slap that name on it and there we go. You know, and it, 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 it's novel. <laughs> it doesn't bear very much resemblance. The camera works terrible. You know, the edit, just the production style, the aesthetic, the whole thing is awful. And it's like, oh, here's some weird modern camera work as if we're watching the Grand Budapest Hotel or something. You know, <laughs> no, this is a, a Dickens novel. I, I don't understand what you're doing. This is really strange. Uh, it's it's. It, oh my God, it's so, so awful. And they leave out large chunks and they change bits of the story and they, you know, they just mess around with everything. So please no one watch that. And if you do my sincerest condolences, a little part of you will die inside.
1: <laughs> All right. So you're not, you're not the biggest fan. I got that now then.
0: All right. No. At the same time, oh. of course, I went and watched an old seventies or eighties uh, Christmas Carol movie and that was brilliant. So, you know, there's definitely good, good Dickens movies out there. Um, but look, last thing I want to do is just plug everyone. Please, as I say, you can email us, booksboys at hotmail.com. And of course, click a lot of links on Books Boys. And on there, there's links to our other projects. PJ, some of your YouTube shows are linked on there, for example. And exactly, you can yeah. find out about the priest who listened to jazz and what was the feel-good hit of the summer. And of course, my Instagram with my art and everything's on there as well. So there's definitely some some little treats for, for the listeners on there. Exactly. I love music shows, different kinds of shows. So um,
1: yeah, guys, so just check it out and see what you think.
0: Well, I think, if you don't mind, I would like to end this episode with um, a song of my own that I that I worked on called Sometimes You Love Me. Do you remember this one now? My friend Craig sang and played a mm-hmm. keyboard on this one. I was song, very, very yeah. proud of the lyrics, and I didn't yeah. think that I was able to, to do it justice. And, you know, Craig's got a beautiful singing voice. He, went shopping. And he sang and played. And I probably ruined it with my, my backing vocals and, uh-huh. and work. But um, I think it's a really good one and i'm going to i'm going to play it i think to close the show. Is All there right. anything else that you want to bring up or is that us done?
1: No, not so done. I have a, I'm a, I'm reading an interesting book right now but I'll mention that next month you can look forward to it. So guys, just keep on just keep on reading, just keep on living. Um yeah, and see you guys next month.
0: Cool. So we'll take you out with sometimes you love me and we'll be back in about a month.
3: See you, guys. you slow Sometimes you include me In all the things you do Sometimes you make me feel
0: Was presented by The Dean and PJ Burke in association with Thaddeus Penguin Productions. Ha! This episode was brought to you by our sponsor, Dumas Dating Service. If you would like to get in touch, you can email us at booksboys at hotmail.com or visit us at booksboys.com. The intro uses driving in the 70s from the Of Soundtracks and Garage Bands EP by Trapdoor, and the outro uses Dogs Light by Bravo Max from the album of the same name. All music used is either pod safe or used with permission. If you're in the US and you would like to purchase any of our recommendations, please use the Amazon links for your book purchases and the Audible link on our website for your audio book purchases and help support the show. Thank you kindly for listening to us. Please tell your friends and come back next time for another episode of Books Boys.
2: Read some books! Sign on. ABC. Yeah, there we go. I've got to apologize, I'm in the car. We're oh, having no some d- done and they're drilling really loud and I've just been like, I thought i a zoom. Call. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince.